Hi, I'm Kelly. And welcome to The Millennial Minimalist. Today, we are sharing a conversation between Lauren and American author and businessman Jay Papasan, the co-author of the book, The One Thing, the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. The One Thing proposes that if we focus on the one most important task in any priority, we can simplify our workload, feel happier, and achieve more. In Lauren's discussion with Jay, you will learn how using this simple and powerful concept can help us focus on what's essential and achieve great results in both our personal and work lives. Today, as we work to simplify our lives and strive for less, less demands and less distractions, and also strive for more, more productivity and more satisfaction, Jay argues that by choosing Choosing one thing, we can have both less and more of what we want. He says that by focusing on one great thing in our lives, we can cut through the clutter, achieve better results in less time, and master what matters most. Be prepared to start thinking about what your one thing is today, whether for this week, this month, or this year, and learn how to give that one thing first position and achieve extraordinary results. And before we start to share this episode, we wanted to let you know that the audio is a bit imperfect as we recorded over Skype, but because of the great insights, we felt it was worthwhile sharing as is. This conversation opens with a question from Lauren. The thing is, it seems so simple. Like you just tell people, oh, you want to be successful, just focus on one thing. But I think the difficulty lies in figuring out what that one thing is. So how do you know your one thing? At the, at the heart of the book is the focusing question. And I'll just share it, and you can put it in the podcast notes. But the essence of it is what hopefully people can get. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else is easier or unnecessary? And it's not 10 things. You're asking your brain to come up with the one thing. And such that by doing it just means that it's not a one-for-one. One. It's not I knock over one domino. It's like when you line up a bunch of dominoes and you knock over one and a bunch fall down. This is about how do I tackle the most leverage action I can currently do such that by doing it, everything else is easier or unnecessary. And I really struggled. Well, people know their one thing. And now having taught this book to probably 10,000 more people through corporate training and coaching and webinars, I find that most people do know their answer they're just not asking the question. And they often, when they ask the question, experience guilt for having neglected their one thing. Now, that's not always true, but I'm going to say it's 95% or more of us, if we stop and we ask right now, this month, this week, what is truly my priority? What is the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else is easier and necessary, right? Most people know what that is, and either they haven't stopped to actually address it and make a plan for it, and in some cases, some people just don't trust their answer. Um, and they just need someone to say, yep, you got it. Or in my experience, if they're off, they're off so close that in acting on the thing they think is the one thing, they will quickly discover it. So I usually just get people to stop, take a hard look at the things that are competing for their time, and ask of all of these things, if I could only do one of them this week or this month, right? You have to kind of put a time frame in it. If I can only do one, which one would I make a stand around? And that answer is usually pretty obvious for people. Um, what they mistake is just because you're focused, I was focused on the marathon, I didn't stop going to work. Yeah. I didn't stop going out and on dates with my wife. And you know, I did stop smoking cigarettes. Uh, but for the most part, my life went on, but those things happened after the most important thing happened. 
So just doing your one thing doesn't mean that everything else goes away. It means that we're giving our first energy, our first time, our real true right of way to one thing over the other things. And there's a real, I find, psychological relief that comes from knowing that because now I show up at work and I know that, hey, I've got this really big priority. It's very clear to me. When I make progress on that and I don't get to some of the other stuff, I still feel like I had a good day. If I spent all day in the weeds knocking out the little things but didn't do my number one thing, I go home and I don't really feel good about my day. So getting things done in the right order, right, giving it first position, that's what priority means, first. You give it first position in your days. Um, it has all kinds of benefits besides just productivity. And that's exactly how I felt after I read the book. I decided what I wanted my one thing to be at that time. And at the end of the day, no matter what had happened, as long as I had worked on that, I had felt accomplished. So because I knew that I was getting closer to the one thing that I wanted most. And can you have one thing in different areas? Or does there have to be one main thing overall? Or you can have your one thing in all the different areas of your life? So the only page I have in the book that's memorized is page 114 in the wide hardcover edition. We rank them from kind of 12 o'clock going around the circle, you know, what's the one thing for my spiritual life, my physical health, my personal life, my key relationships, my job, my business, and my finances. And for us, that was the order of priority that you would give those things in your life. And I think when people understand that they do have a one thing in each of those areas, and if they can make doing that one thing a ritual or a habit, so it doesn't take lots of energy or focus, you're just kind of knocking it out, um, then we can get into that territory of kind of habit stacking. Um, you're really giving your focus to that area that needs your focus today. But hopefully you have rituals and habits that are addressing those other things on an ongoing basis. So I usually tell people, if you've never done this exercise, star, identify the one area of your life that matters most, right? If you scored yourself from 1 to 10 in each of those seven areas, how is your spiritual life on a scale of 1 to 10? What about your physical health on a scale of 1 to 10? Most people will go for their lowest number because it's causing them the most pain. Yeah. Some people will go, hey, I've got an 8 in my job. I'd like to make that a 10. Awesome. It's your choice. But focus on building a really powerful habit in your life there. And when you form that habit, and our research showed that it takes about 66 days on average to do that, then you can turn your attention to the next one. And I could share in our life, my wife and I got together, we put our heads straight, we tried to build habits for our family in all seven areas. And we didn't do them all at once, we did them one at a time. But over a course of just a couple of years, you know, we built some pretty powerful habits for us and our children to address each of those areas, kind of an ongoing basis. And we don't it's kind of like brushing your teeth. It's probably one of the most helpful things we can do. And hopefully you're like me. Our parents beat that into us when we were really little. And it doesn't take much energy to wander into the, the bathroom and pick up the floss and toothbrush today. Yeah. It's just something that you made a habit of a long time ago. Um, okay. So you also talk a lot about balance in the book, but you also talk about why it's better to pursue counterbalance at certain times. Um, I really like this concept. Can you explain why it's almost essential when pursuing your one thing? Wow. Oh, okay, so I love this. It was one of those things that I got to learn while writing the book. Yeah. Um, I think that pursuing balance um, as some sort of destination is not only um, misunderstood, it can actually be destructive. 
So, you know, when I'm teaching a class or a workshop, uh, one of the first things I'll do when I teach this section of the book, I'll say, great, can I get everybody who's able to stand up? And I'd like you to stand on one foot. And it's kind of funny, you know, I'm, you know, seeing a thousand people all kind of waving their arms and balancing on one foot. But I'll just ask a simple question. Are you balanced or balancing? And very quickly and immediately, everybody says they're balancing, right? Because it's, and I say, congratulations, everybody gets an A, sit down. And balance is not something where we get everything in our life set up such that now we just have this own moment and everything's perfect. It's an activity that you have to do all the time. And we have to be very thoughtful about it. And we have to understand where we can be unbalanced and where we need to really strive to be counterbalancing, right? You're always going to be going back and forth. Even if you're a ballerina and you're standing on your toe, you're vibrating at a pretty fast rate there to stay balanced. How well we do that is the skill in life. So I usually just try to make sure people understand balance is an activity. It's not something that you achieve. Just understand that it's an ongoing thing. And we advocate that for your professional work, being out of balance is probably the reality. And it's okay. In business, it's very clear. A handful of things really matter, and then there's everything else. And if you focus on those things, you will feel out of balance because there's lots of little details that are not being addressed. There's lots of little fires going off, but you're, you're just charging ahead, making sure that that one thing for your business or your job is really absolutely being tackled. And then other areas of your life, your health, your family, all those things, you've got to be far more active in counterbalancing. If you spend a week where you're working really long hours, you need to immediately step back catch up on your sleep, catch up on your health, take some time for yourself, that's how we avoid burnout. That's how we avoid all kinds of stress-related problems. Um, you've got kids, right? Um, I'm not saying you do. If you have kids, you know, if I'm gone for more than a few days, I'm going to back off and make sure I'm getting some quality time because it's not like I can say, hey, kids, I know for the first 16 years of your life, Dad was really at work all the time. I was doing that so we would have time to be yeah, well, they may not want to even hang out with me then. So you can't, you've got to counterbalance more frequently, more actively to stay in touch with those key relationships in your life, your health in those other areas. So I just said a whole bunch. Did that make sense? You said that perfectly. And you even use the analogy in the book about how your work is like a bouncy ball. It's like made of rubber. And if you drop it, it can come back. But the other areas like your health and your family and your friends and your integrity um, they're glass, so you can't drop them. And if you do, they'll be damaged. And I have a friend who's... I love that line. Yeah. It brings tears to people's eyes, but we can't take credit for it. I believe that's um, James Patterson, who allowed us to take a line from one of his novels, just to be really clear. But okay. that is a, I love that line. It illustrates what we're talking about very well. And, you know, I have a friend who's starting a company and she was so stressed out and everything that's going on in her life. And she's like, I feel like my place is a mess and I'm not caught up on anything. And I said to her, I'm like, there's no magic in the middle. Like, you know, to ha to get to where you want to get to, you're going to get thrown off balance sometimes. So don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, it's normal. A little chaos on that path is going to happen. Yes. You also stress in the book that a lot of what we do just gets us by. So how can we work in such a way? And I think we can all relate to this, that a lot of times we're just doing tasks, like getting through our to-do list. So how can we work in such a way that's going to get us to the next level? The rhythm for us is once a year, um, 
we step back and we, my wife and I actually go on a retreat for this. We facilitate one for people who want to do that with us, um, a goal setting retreat where we step back and set our someday five-year goals. And based on where we want to ultimately be going, we set our goals for the year. And so at the very least, everybody, whether you know where you want to be in five years and beyond or not, hopefully most professionals have some sense of what's my plan for 2019 or whenever they're listening to 2020, right, this year. So the rhythm then, with that in hand, is each week um, we would sit down and say, based on my goals for the year, what do I want to accomplish this month? And when you've got your, your month planned out each week you ask based on my monthly plans what is my one thing for this week and then if, if I get that done what is the second thing it's usually just a handful of true priorities we call that our 411 right we have our annual goals our monthly goals and our weekly goals we're cascading it down to get increased clarity and also make sure that it's a very narrow set of things that we're looking at when you've identified your one thing for your week it takes me about 30 minutes a week to just do this I have my calendar and my goals when I know what my one thing is, I just look at my calendar and say, do I have enough time to walk to do this? The answer is no, I start canceling appointments. The answer is yes, I double commit to those appointments. And everything else kind of happens around that. You know, it's like me living that marathon. When am I getting my mileage in? For me today, my one thing is writing and research. And when am I getting my writing and research done? And everything else should flow around those appointments with myself. Um, that's the rhythm of it. It takes about 30 minutes a week. But that's how you stay on track. If I had a goal of four writing days last week and I've got three, guess what? I got five this week. I have to catch up. I have to get that one back on the books because that's how I stay on pace for my month and my year. So you get clear on where you're going and then you check in on that on a regular basis. And that rhythm for me is besides the annual, right? You have this sense of the big goals that you set. My framework now becomes my month or my week. What am I executing on to keep me in alignment for where I ultimately want to be going? You also talk a lot about success and how there's kind of this misconception that you need so much discipline to be successful. So can you explain why that's a bit of a misconception? And So I think most people don't understand what discipline means. I think what they think of it as is uh, what we call willpower in the book, which is a whole other topic. When you look up the definition, discipline is training yourself to do something until it's habitual. Yeah. And I usually use the example, uh, I was teaching in Nashville, I showed up, I'm always really early, I was a couple of hours early, and there was a gentleman on the front row, and I assumed, because it was so early, he was part of the crew, and I went up to introduce myself, and he said, um, no, I don't work, I'm just here to attend, I'm just early. I'm always early, it's a habit. And I kind of, you know, doo -doo -doo -doo, I hear the word habit, I want to know what's going on, and it turns out that it had been almost 10 years, but he had been in a Green Beret. And he said, for nine years, I was a Green Beret. And they trained me to show up early and observe. And I just can't shake the habit. Wow. And so that's what you now go to that idea of soldier. They train them so that their behaviors become automatic. We do the same thing. My parents, right, trained me to wake up and brush my teeth, right? Um, to do certain rituals that are good for us, our health, and society, we can still do that today. So we usually say, you don't have to be this disciplined person. You need to be a person of selected disciplines. So figure out that area where you need to be bring discipline. Train yourself, right? Work for the habit, and then that habit will continue to serve you 
for as long as you maintain it. And maintaining a habit is a lot easier than building one. So there's all this talk, you know, James Clear, Atomic Habits, you got um, the power of habit. Like there's definitely that's in vogue now. That's what we mean by habit stacking. You just, one at a time, you can become a person of extraordinary habits. And the absolutely most regrammed and photographed quote in the book is, uh, people don't determine their futures, they determine their habits, and their habits determine their futures. Yeah. And I love that quote, and it's absolutely true. And you, you said in the book that, you know, a lot of times we view successful people as being so disciplined, but in fact, they just have a few habits that they've mastered, which ties back into the one thing. If there's a habit you really want to do, then you can just make it your one thing until it becomes a habit and then go do something else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you also talk about failure. And um, as I've gotten older, I view failure completely different. I feel like it affected me a lot more and I was a lot more sensitive about it in my early 20s. So can you talk a little bit about how people should view failure? Well, I'll just say like one of the books I've recommended more than anything else is Mindset. And I think that at some point early in our lives, uh, we forget that almost all experiential learning is a series of failures. Like if you watch a toddler learning to walk, they just face plant again and again. I mean, it's uh-huh. really hard to watch. Yeah. But they don't judge themselves. That's just learning to walk. And it's fun. And they giggle and they skin their knees and they might cry, but then they're right back at it. Just as persistent as ever. And at some point, you know, um, early in our grade school years, we start to judge ourselves based on our failures. So um, something I definitely learned from Gary, that if you want big success, you will experience lots of failures on the path to that. And your persistence your ability to learn from them will ultimately determine how far you go. So really successful people didn't avoid failure. They went headlong into it, learned from it, and kept going. And the mindset, we call it, and we mentioned this briefly in the book, you can have a growth mindset around it or you can have a fixed mindset. And nobody is perfectly in one world or the other. In our bad days, it's easy to say, oh, I'm, you know, the imposter syndrome. Why is anybody working with me? I'm, I'm no good. I'm a, I'm a fraud. We all go there sometimes, but in general, as much as we can, adopt the growth mindset. Okay, that didn't work out. What can I do differently so that I can succeed next time and keep pressing forward? Failure is frustrating and it's hard. And I feel like that's why it's hard to get up and try again because you might fail again, but it's part of success. Um, we've already touched on this, but you said, you talk about how it's best to organize your schedule so that you prioritize your own thing, your one thing. And you actually have a layout of it in the book on how to organize your calendar. So can you talk a little bit about that? When you look at your calendar, uh, a successful calendar shows that you are making regular appointments with yourself to do your one thing. And in our mind, for lots and lots of reasons that, um, we don't actually have time today to go into all of those, but I just say to sum it up, ideally, as early in the day as you're able, whatever your early means to you, you're launching your day with your top priorities. Mm-hmm. And so you build a habit of scheduling time with yourself early in your workday to do your one thing. And you've interviewed lots of people, and I'm sure you've asked them these questions. Really successful people tend to launch their days with ritual around their health, their diet, meditation, journaling, they get this at a really high level and they're launching their day by just checking the boxes on those priorities 
so that by the time they show up at work, I'm often up three to three and a half hours before I get into work. Mm -hmm. I've checked a whole lot of boxes before I step into other people's priorities. So that's what we mean when we talk about giving your number one um, kind of a real priority in your life. You're giving it the first allocation of time on a daily and a weekly basis and hopefully building a habit around that. Um, I, there's a lot of us who kind of have our full-time jobs and they might not necessarily be, we're not in the job that we want to be in. Like it's not our dream job. So we start something on the side, but then we kind of feel like, like we have two jobs. So like if you do actually have to focus on two things, how do you prioritize them? Um, not to over, we don't want to overcomplicate the thinking, but right now you've got the side gig, right? So you've yeah. kind of got two professional one things. Yeah. Ultimately, juggling both um, is probably not a recipe for extraordinary in either one. If you want one or the other to be truly extraordinary, at some point when it makes financial sense, right? You don't want to do it foolishly. You do need to kind of put all your eggs in one basket or the other. Um, I usually ask people, are there ways to align these two things? Um, I did a podcast um, with, you know, just a side podcast from my wife's real estate business. And we identified 50 local business leaders. And we managed to make that side gig line up really well with the purpose of the business. Because, like, why are you doing this? Why is that important? We were building really important local relationships with business leaders. And so we aligned those two dominoes so that it made sense. It wasn't as much of a side gig as a step towards making our primary gig more powerful. It just was a learning curve, right? Because it's a very different activity than running a real estate company. So align them if you can, right? How does this side gig actually propel your primary? Or is the side gig the primary and you need to look for an opportunity to transition? But if you continue to do both and you have side gigs and side gigs to entertain yourself or keep things from getting boring, neither is likely to be extraordinary unless you just get really extraordinarily lucky. Extraordinarily usually comes from focus over time, right? It doesn't happen overnight. You build on your successes, you learn from your failures, and because you stuck with it for a very long period of time, that mastery starts to show up. Okay, that was exactly what I needed to hear. You said that perfectly. Okay, and just to end this, I have to ask you, what is your one thing right now? Right now, it's my health. I had back surgery uh, exactly one month ago yesterday, and so I'm really focused for the next 60 days and making sure that that is a success. So above all things, like I, I, the day I went into surgery, I was giving a big promotion in our company and got... 28 additional employees and like it's just crazy how many things coincide but I'm pretty clear right now that making sure that that big investment in my health is not anything I wanted to do but it was something I had to do but in terms of my long-term health I had to get that fixed and I want to make sure that I don't undo that by not focusing on it um, but professionally you know, we're working on the novel around the one thing I've got um, an opportunity for our education department juggling a couple of one things right now and I'm trying to bring in the organization so that the three one things that I'm looking at professionally right now, only one of them is getting my full time. So I can, that's how you have more than one thing in a business. You assign it to someone. So I can go, Jeff, hey, your one thing is building the one thing podcast. I'm here to coach you, but that's your one thing. And you delegate those so that more than one thing can happen. And that's right where I am. My professional one thing is, how do I organize this so that all of these things are getting the right amount of attention? 
and I can focus on my number one way to contribute, which for me is strategic content. That's what I do. Okay. Thank you so much, Jay. It was so nice to hear all your wisdom and insight. And it was such an honor. Your book is one of my favorites and getting to speak to you today has been so nice. Thanks so much for listening. That was a conversation between Lauren and American author Jay Papasan, the co-author of the best-selling self-help book, The One Thing. To learn more about this book and Jay, please refer to the links in our show notes. And again, you can follow us on social media at Millennial Minimalist. Thank you.